Be turning your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. It is great to see everybody here this morning. A little bit of a rainy day. We knew we were going to get uh, wet going from uh, one part of our service to another. New experience for many of us. You know, you get wet right in the middle of church. 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. And we'll begin there in just a few moments. We did take the uh, recommendation from uh, one of you, I forget who it was, to uh, create two more aisles. So I hope you noticed today that we have uh, uh, two more aisles. So, you know, continue to make suggestions here. You know, if we all put our heads together, uh, we'll actually make this thing uh, turn out pretty good. I know next week we're... Uh, uh, where's Chris? Next week is a regional, right? Yeah, so next week we'll stay in the, uh, the main auditorium the whole time. And uh, and then the uh, the next time after that, when we're in here, we're going to actually have our projection set up uh, behind us. Yes. Fantastic. You guys in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Okay, title for the sermon today is The Growing Church. The Growing Church. And we're going to talk about this whole idea of growing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, it says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. God made it grow. Interesting. Look over Colossians chapter 2. In verse 19, he said, One planted, another watered, but God made it grow. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. He's talking about someone here that isn't doing very well spiritually. It says, He has lost connection to the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it To grow. This idea of growth is actually a great thing. God causes growth. Now, a few months back, actually a year back or better, I, uh, in my backyard, set up a little golf net uh, so I could practice my golf practice, uh, you know, and uh, hopefully get a little bit better at golf. And I decided that, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a little cement slab right there and I can put... Little little astroturf kind of thing on there, and I can hit the ball off that, and you know that'll be neat. But you know the one thing I figured out after I did all that is you don't play golf on astroturf. You play golf actually on grass. And so I decided then well, I got to tear out this cement slab. And so I borrowed a, a sledge from one of the brothers, and uh, you know cracked it all up and broke it all up and everything. And then I had this big ugly part of my yard, if you know what I mean. I thought, you know what I've got to do is I've got to plant some seed. I've got to go get some fertilizer. And so I went to uh, Osh and I got the fertilizer, got advice from the guy, what kind of grass I needed, what kind of fertilizer I needed. And I threw it in there and I watered it and I watered it, you know. And I waited and I waited and, you know, it took about a month. But you know what started showing up? Grass. Grass. And it's growing up, and it's growing up. And, and you know, I, I realized, boy, I, I threw a lot of seed right here, but I got a couple of bare spots over there. And so I had a little bit more grass, and I threw it on there, a little more fertilizer. And, I, you know, I, I actually went back to Osh, and I got a, a, one of those uh, 
watering things, you know, you fill it up and then you, you pour it in there. And every day I've got this little project now in my backyard making my grass grow. And it's growing. This passage actually uses that idea that one planted, one watered, but God makes things grow. Now I want to talk about growth today in two different ways for the church. You guys with me? I want to talk about you and your personal life growing spiritually. And then I want to talk about the church actually growing numerically and how that goes about uh, in a person's life. Let's talk about growing you first, okay? I'm going to talk about you guys first, how you can grow spiritually. Isn't that one of the main reasons you come to church? You come to church so you can grow and hopefully the things that are done and said will uh, bring about that in your life. I'm going to give you three things that are a sure bet. They will work for every single person in the room. This will make you grow spiritually if you plug these things into your life. Number one, good relationships. Look over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 15. Good relationships. Good people around you. Strong Christians around you. They're going to be able to help you. Actually, let's pick it up in verse 14. It says, Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is talking about relationships that you have in the church, in the, in the body of Christ, the relationships you have. If you have good relationships, they are going to do this thing that it says here, that they are going to, it says in verse 15... Speak the truth in love. In other words, you're going to have relationships of people that are going to tell you the things that you need to hear. Now, in all of our lives, there can be a difference between what we want to hear and what we need to hear. You ever notice that in your life? Big difference sometimes between what you need to hear and what you want to hear. What we want to hear when we say, How do I look? You look great! Fantastic! Everything's in order, everything compliments, and that kind of thing. When I ask my wife, if I dress myself, generally speaking anyway, if I put myself together and I say, how do I look? Well, I get a different answer than great, awesome, or fantastic. It's generally something along the line of, well, that doesn't go with that, and, and this doesn't look good here, and, you know, if I ask my children how I look, I even get more advice. But, you know, uh, the, the truth of the matter is probably both what my wife and my children are telling me is true. You know, uh, uh, it's just that, you know, if you don't know somebody well sometimes, you don't necessarily, you know, feel like you can just really, you know, lay it out, you know. But if you know someone well, like, you know, you're talking to your dad or that kind of thing, you can say, well, you know, dad, that doesn't look very good. You need to change that. If you have good relationships in the church... If you have people that really love you and care for you, they're going to tell you what you need to hear. They're going to speak the truth in love. Now, that in love thing is a, a nice little clause, isn't it? Because sometimes, you know, the truth can, can be brutal. 
And, and you know, you could just sort of, you know, bash someone with the truth. But if you're speaking the truth in love, people are going to be able to help you. And you're going to have relationships that can speak the truth in love to you. Now, I want you to sort of do a little inventory in your mind. Of your relationships in the church right now, Christian, do you have people that are speaking the truth in love to you? Don't answer that audibly. That's just, you know, in your own mind. Do you have people that are speaking the truth in love to you? If you don't, you need to ask yourself, I wonder why they don't tell me what I need to hear. Are they maybe afraid of you? You know, sometimes people can come across, you can come across in such a way that, that, that you, you know, you actually intimidate people. And people are afraid of you. They're like, I, I don't know if I should say anything to her, because I think if I do, she may just really yell at me or something like that. Maybe you don't have people telling you what you need to hear because you sort of intimidate them. Maybe you have surrounded yourself with friends that are just sort of natural, get-along kind of friends. You know, you've surrounded yourself with people that tell you nice things. You know, the funny thing is in life is that we all like to hear nice things. But sometimes in life, if we're going to really become better, if we're going to grow, someone needs to tell you something that's not necessarily nice. Right? Someone needs to tell you something that isn't necessarily a compliment of where you are or how you're doing at that particular time. You think back in your life to times in many areas of your life, times where you really grew probably were complimented by someone in your life that was challenging you, that was calling you higher, that was not accepting what you were doing as being okay, but saying, you can do better. They were speaking the truth. It might have been a teacher. It might have been a coach. It might have been your mom and dad. It might have been a good friend. But if you surround yourself with good friends, with good people, you are going to grow spiritually. Number two. If you read your Bible and pray on a daily basis, you are going to grow spiritually. Look over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is all about the Bible. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's all about the Bible. And it's Psalm 119, verse 9. Psalm 119, 9. You guys there? Okay. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. In other words, how can, how can a, a person, even at maybe the height of temptation in their life, how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, if he's living according to the statutes of the Bible, if he knows the Scriptures, if he's uh, acquainting himself with the Scriptures, if he's bringing God's Word into his life. Look a little further on in, verse, uh, in chapter 119 there to verse 28. It says, My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to Your Word. The Word of God will strengthen you. You will grow spiritually if you are getting the Word of God in your life on a consistent basis. On a daily basis is what I'm talking about right now. I've got this thing right now that I'm doing that I started at the beginning of the year. I've got it right in my Bible. It's uh, reading through the Bible in a year. And it's got it all listed out there. It starts with January 1 and December 31 all the way over here. I am presently on February 5th. So I'm a little bit ahead right now. And, and uh, you know, I got ahead because I knew, you know, uh, that I might fall behind and I'd rather be ahead than behind. You know what I'm saying? 
And so I've got this in my Bible. I keep it in my Bible, and every day I get it, and I and I uh, I look. Okay, well, you know, where am I at next? What's the next two or three chapters that I'm supposed to be reading? Now, that's not the only way you can get God's word into your life, but you need to be getting God's word into your life every single day. If you do that, you'll grow spiritually. I will guarantee it. It will happen in your life if you will get God's Word into your life. Now, if you're reading God's Word, you're also going to pray. Those two things just go hand in hand together. If you're reading God's Word, you're going to pray. And if you're praying and reading the Bible, you're going to grow spiritually. You are feeding your spiritual self good spiritual food when you are praying and when you are reading the Bible. You are ministering to the inner man, the inner woman, the inner person, the real person of who you are. You know, what we are on the outside is not really what we are. And, and we know that, frankly, as we age. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, you know. I look at myself sometimes in the mirror and I think I'm morphing into my mom and dad. What is wrong, you know? And... and, and you know, I mean, it's even little things sometimes. You look at your hands and you're like, whoa, that's an old guy's hand. What is wrong with that? You know? It's aging. It, it just happens. You know, our, our earthly tent is wasting away. And, and it one day will be gone. But the inner man, the inner woman, the inner person that you are, your soul, that, that, that what, what goes beyond the grave, is not ministered to by, by Big Macs. You know? By spaghetti, steak, and potatoes. You're going to minister to and strengthen your, your, your inner person by Bible study and prayer. Now, you think of your, your outward self. If you don't take care of your outward self in a sense of nutrition and, and, and how you feed yourself, how you take care of yourself then you know, even our physical bodies, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to do well. There's an outward self and there's an inner self. If you minister to the inner self, if you feed your inner self with Bible study and prayer, I'll guarantee you're going to grow spiritually. Number three, you are going to have to personally train yourself. Look over to Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. These are, these are three things. I'm trying to hit them real quick here. That if you do these things, I'll guarantee you're going to grow. I mean, hey, guarantees are important, right? We all want guarantees. Hey, you know, you guarantee this is going to work. I'll guarantee this is going to work. You surround yourself with good spiritual people that will tell you what you need to hear. You pray and read the Bible and minister to your inner person. You're going to grow spiritually. And this third thing, you're going to have to train yourself. Hebrews chapter 5 in verse 11, beginning. We're actually going to read down a little further to verse 14, but we're going to start in verse 11. He says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Wow, that's a little bit of a sharp comment, isn't it? In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But here's, here's the thing. Look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is a bit of a balancer to the first point. Yes, we need great relationships around us 
to grow spiritually. But you cannot expect or hope or believe that because you have good friends or good influences around you, that you are not the primary mover of your spiritual development. You have to train yourself to distinguish good from evil so that you can grow up in your life. Sometimes what happens in the church is we talk so much about discipling relationships that people say, you know, I don't feel like I'm growing spiritually. It must be because of my discipleship partner. And we say, you know, I wish I had a better discipleship partner. And we think in our mind, okay, if I had a better discipleship partner, then I would be growing better. Now, that might be true. It may not be true. But ultimately, you're not going to be able to grow spiritually if you're going to say, this is someone else's fault. And listen to me now, because this is our generation. This is who we are now as a people in, in America, in, in, in our time. Is that we are desperately looking for whose fault is it that my life isn't where it needs to be. I mean, it must be the government. It must be the schools. It must be my parents. It must be something. And we are willing to blame anybody and anything and everything instead of just saying, you know, I think maybe I'm not growing spiritually because I am lazy and I don't expect anything out of myself. I have allowed myself to be so busy with everything else in my life. I've got school. I've got job. I've got I've got my the things I like to do. You know, sort of my hobbies or whatever. I, I I just I am so busy. I don't know how I can ever fit being spiritual into my life. It must be the minister's fault. That's it. That's it. We we need a better minister. And you know what? It might be true. You might need a better minister. You might need a better wife. You might need a better husband. You might, you might need better parents. You might be, need better schools, better government. All those things might be true to some degree or another, or maybe none of them are true. Maybe what is true is that you don't do anything to develop your spiritual life and you're not growing. You don't surround yourself with good people. You're not reading the Bible. You're not praying. You're being lazy. You do more sleeping in than getting up. Well, why can't I get a quiet time in before, before I start? Because you don't get up. Why don't you get up? Well, you don't want to. If you wanted to, you would. You see, this passage says, man, you know, I, I would like to, to treat you like an adult, but you're, you're still behaving like a child. Well, why, why is this person still a child? Because they haven't trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You see, there's a sense of personal responsibility here about growing spiritually that you've got to really buy into. You've got to understand, listen, I hope I have good friends. I hope I have all the good influences. I hope I have a great discipleship group. I hope I have a great ministry. I hope I have all these wonderful things. I hope I marry a great spiritual... You know, all the girls are saying, man, I need to marry a great guy so he'll make me a spiritual woman all my life. And the guys are all saying, man, i got to marry this spiritual woman because I'm a mess, but man, she'll straighten me out. You know, I need to get this woman in my life that will make me a spiritual person. 
Well, I hope you do marry a spiritual woman. I hope you do marry a spiritual man. I hope you do have, you know, all those outside influences and things are awesome. But at the end of the day, guys, you've got to take personal responsibility for your spiritual life. If you do these three things, you're going to grow spiritually. Okay, let me hit the other things, the negatives, the, the opposite of all this, okay? What are three things that I'll guarantee you are going to mess you up spiritually? Number one, wrong friends. Look over to 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to look at one of the, the great kings of Israel, Solomon. And he messes up in his life, and he messes up because he surrounds himself with some bad influences. 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11. You guys moving there? 2 Kings after 1 Kings, for those of you who don't know your Bible. It's 1 Kings. What am I talking about? 1 Kings 11. And it ripples through the crowd. 1 Kings. First Kings. It's my glasses. I need to get my glasses fixed. First Kings 11, verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives, look at this, his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And you say, you know, I, 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 I get the point. Man, if you had a thousand women in your life uh, that you were trying to keep happy, uh, you know, that, that, that'd be enough to drive you nuts. That'd, that'd drive you, you know, insane. That kind of a thing. But really, that's not the point. Is the, the number is not really the point here. The number is, God said, hey, don't, don't, don't link your life with these people because they worship foreign gods. They, they worship someone other than Jehovah. And if you, if you link your life with them, They are going to pull you away. They're going to pull you down. And that's, in fact, just exactly what happened. There's a great passage. If you're not, if you're an underliner, guys, you've got to underline this one. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. This is one of those Bible passages that is super simple to remember. Uh, It's not long, and it's one that is a truth that you've got to, you've got to see this here. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. In other words, don't be faked out. Don't believe if you hear otherwise. Bad company corrupts good character. If you surround yourself with friends that are going to lead you to God, likely you're going to be influenced in a good way. That's what we talked about earlier. If you surround yourself with people that are not God's people, that are not committed to God, or you surround yourself with Christians who are weak Christians, what's going to likely happen? Bad company is going to corrupt good 
character. Now, I know what some of you do in your life, and you need to listen to me here, because you think you're doing something that, 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 that you're getting away with. It's no big deal. Is that when you're at church, you have your church friends, but when you're out and about in the world in the normal uh, uh, living of your life, you have all these other friends in your life. And you say, well, yeah, I know people in the church. Yeah, that's great. But I know all these other people too. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later about how our attitude should be toward people in the world that we're friends with that are not Christians. But if you're hanging around with people who are not Christians for the sake of doing the things that they're doing, in other words, you're not, you're not out and about being Jesus to these people. You're hanging around with these people and you're fitting in with them. Bad company corrupts good character. You hang around with your hoodlum friends, you're going to be like your hoodlum friends. Like I said, we're going to talk a little bit later about how our attitude should be toward people in the world. But if you're hanging around with worldly people, to be worldly with your worldly people, but to be Christian-like or God-like when you're around God's people, I'll guarantee you what's going to happen in your life. You are going to be drawn right back into the world. This is a guarantee. If your best friends are not God's people, you are going to be drawn back into the world. You are not going to grow spiritually if your best friends, your buddies, your soulmates, your homies, whatever you call them, if those relationships are people in the world, they will draw you, just like Solomon. He surrounded himself with these people. They've got all these things going on. He says he clung to them in love. Well, I love her. I love her. I really like that guy. I really like this girl. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a tractor beam on your heart. And it's pulling. It's pulling you right back into the world. The, the, the worldly life that you lived before you became a child of God. This is a guarantee. If you surround yourself with the wrong people you're going to be in a mess. Number two, if you love the world, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, interesting comment that Paul makes here about one of his former uh, followers, really, uh, one of his sort of uh, protégés. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 10, he says, uh, in verse 9, he says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas because he loved the world. <coughs> because he loved the world. <clears throat> what does it mean to love the world? What, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love the world? You know, in many times in life, you have to decide who you are. You have to decide where you're going in life. And you have to realize in that context, there's going to be some things in my life that are going to be sort of minor things and there are going to be other things that are going to be major things in my life. If you look at your life right now and how you spend your time, you know, there's a little litmus test of what's important to you. You can tell what's important to a person. How do they spend their time? Well, how much time do you, do, do, do you devote to a particular uh, thing or a particular uh, uh, you know, uh, activity? How much of your life does it take from you to do certain things? You know, there's a difference in life between being a person who appreciates 
you know, the, the, the things around us and sort of, uh, you know, has a, a casual type of feeling toward them as opposed to someone who's just flat devoted to them. And it's amazing, brothers and sisters and friends, people are devoted to almost anything. I mean, if nothing else has come about in the last few years out of all these sort of TV shows on, uh, you know, all, all the different things, there are people that are devoted to nearly anything. You know, there's one thing to, to know how to be a cook. And there's another thing about being so into cooking that it becomes your life. It's the most important thing in your life. Cooking. You say, wow, I, you know, I, I, I sort of see how you mean that. It's the one thing, you know, to be, uh, you know, to like the Lakers. It's another thing, man, just to be so, you know, God, oh, the Lakers are on tonight, you know. Wow. I mean, it, it, is it sucking up your life? Is it devoting your life? Does everything have to move around the schedule and the thoughts of those kind of things, you know? If you love the world... Demas loved the world and it messed him up. We've got to be able to live in the world as Christians and not be a part of the world. There's got to be a separation that a Christian has from the things of the world that are going around. And the last thing I want to say here about what I'll guarantee you will mess you up spiritually is drama. <laughs> look, over, look over to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I guarantee you this will mess you up spiritually. It's drama. Drama. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Well, that's, boy, that's an encouragement, isn't it? This is what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. He says, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual, but as worldly. They're infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one of you says, I follow Paul, and the other I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? One of the reasons these people are not growing spiritually is because of spiritual drama. You know what? Gossip, slander... What he said about her, what he said about him, what she said about him, what she said about... You know what? If that's going on in your circle of friends in the church, you need to start doing some speaking the truth in love about gossip. You need to do some speaking the truth in love about slander. Spiritual drama, drama, can mess people up spiritually. I'm going to be a bit bold here in, in some things that, that I'm going to mention along this line. There in our time is more and more intrusion into our life if we allow it to be. We not only have a telephone on the wall now, we got a telephone in our purse or in our pocket. We not only can can talk to each other a little bit, we can talk to each other constantly. We as God's people at some point have to turn it off. There was a song years ago 
Silence is golden, golden. That's an old song. I mean, I mean, we 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 got we 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 got we got the cell phone going. We got Facebook going. We got MySpace going. We got we we got Twitter going. We we don't know that we're, whether we're twitting or talking. We are so up into each other's business and, and, and talking to each other constantly. And you know what that leads to? Drama! Drama! Oh, she said! Oh, he said! Oh, she didn't! And he didn't! I wish she would! I wish she wouldn't! Man, we got this thing all churning all the time in our life. We can't eat a meal without... Could you pat? Could you pass the green beans? I just said. Well, how 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 how'd your day go? You're so confused. You don't know whether you're in the room, out of the room. You don't know whether you're sitting on a chair or whether you're in astro space somewhere. You got to get some of the drama out of your life spiritually. Silence is golden sometimes. Meditation does not involve people talking to you. Meditation involves quietness. You follow what I'm saying? These three things will mess you up spiritually. Wrong friends, loving the world, and drama. I want to show you something that I hope will describe our church. Look over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is awesome. I read this. I said, man, this needs to be San Gabriel Valley right here. This is who we want to be, guys. When we grow up, this is what we want to be right here. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. Look what Paul says about these people. Might it be said of us. He says, we ought always to thank God for you brothers. And rightly so. Because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. Wow. Might that be us, brothers and sisters. Okay, let's transition now. Growing numerically. Look over to Acts chapter 16, verse 5. I know we're looking at a lot of passages here, but I don't have much to say unless I'm talking about the Bible. So, you know, we we, we gotta we got to do the Bible here. In Acts 16, verse 5, look at this. Says, Great little thing here. It says, So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. It can be both, guys. It's not either the church is growing numerically or the church is growing uh, uh, spiritually. It can be both. And that's what's going on here in the book of Acts. I'm going to give you three convictions. I'm on three here today. You know, Three ways to grow spiritually. Three ways to mess up spiritually. Here's three. Three convictions that will help you in your outreach to the world around us. Three things that I want you to take deep into your thoughts and your heart. This is not just sort of mildly kind of think about. This is conviction level things. What do you want to be? Number one, you want to be like Christ in purpose. They're all going to be like Christ in one way, okay? Be like Christ in purpose. Look over to Luke 19. Jesus here meets a guy. It's a sort of a, one of those funny stories that Jesus meeting someone. 
He's going to meet a guy named Zacchaeus. He's not a very tall guy. He's a short guy. Yesterday, I was, I was golfing with my daughter Anya, and uh, you know, we got to talking about how I'm, I'm the shortest and smallest Fuquay uh, of, of anyone I know from several generations. You know, my uncles and and and, and brothers and, and grandfather and all that. You know, uh, you know what happened to me? I don't know. You know, uh, Mr. Shortness himself. Well, th- th- this guy in Luke 19, he's he's short. I think probably even shorter than me. In uh, Luke 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief, collect, uh, t- uh, chief tax collector. We do have tax season coming up here, Wiley. Tax uh, collector. And he was wealthy. Hmm. I wonder if those two things go together. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So this is sort of a funny story. You know, this guy wants to see Jesus. He's a rich guy and everything. Uh, but, you know, apparently he didn't have courtside seats back then. And, uh, you know, and uh, he, he couldn't see Jesus. So he said, well, the only way I'm going to figure this out, i got to run ahead. And so he ran down sort of the, the parade route or whatever of where Jesus was going. And he climbs up a tree and he's looking out to see if he can see Jesus. So, you know, interesting story. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, I don't know if Jesus knew Zacchaeus beforehand or not. If he didn't, wow, this would have been something. Yeah, yeah. yeah this would be like you going to see you know, uh, President Obama, you know, and you're, you're wanting to see the President of the United States. He's in town for one reason or another. And you're like, well, I just want to see the President. You know? And so you, you get into a place where you're hanging over a balcony somewhere or something so you can look down and see the parade route and everything. And, and he's coming along and uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the car that he's in and waving to the crowd and everything. And he stops and says, uh, Marty, uh, whoa! Whoa! Wow! How do you know my name? I don't know if, if Jesus knew Zacchaeus ahead of time or not, but anyway, he says, "Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today." You know, and so wow, that's something. And so he came down once, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Now you know what mutter is, don't you? Can we practice muttering right now? Let's do a little muttering. Okay, that, that, that's muttering. They're saying, what the heck is Jesus doing, man? All those good people here and He's hanging out with the tax collector. That knucklehead's been stealing up my money for years and Jesus is spending time with Him instead of, instead of with me. And so they're all muttering. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Says, Hey, let's spend some time together. I'm going to go to your house. They go to his house. Zacchaeus apparently is terribly touched by this whole thing. He knows he's wrong. He knows he needs to change. He knows things in his life are where they need to be. He says, Okay, Jesus... I'm going to give, first of all, I'm going to give half of everything I have. I'm going to just give it right off to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Wow. I would say the guy repented. What do you think? I mean, that's repentance right there. I'll give half of what I own to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll give back four times the amount. Jesus says, you know, hey, this guy is, is, is now right with God because the Son of Man, me, Jesus, Jesus says, I came to seek and save what was lost. This is purpose. 
Jesus says, my purpose is to seek and to save the lost. Now let's just, let's just identify real quickly here that Jesus says, the lost. Sometimes we get a little squeamish about saying, well, I don't know if I can say someone is lost. Jesus says, I came to seek and to save what? The lost. The lost. In Jesus' mind, there isn't this vagueness about, well, I wonder if people might be lost. Yeah, they're lost. Spiritually lost. He was physically wealthy. But he's spiritually lost. This is purpose. This is what do you do with your non-Christian friends and neighbors and, and workmates and people that you live in. I mean, we live in a world of people that aren't saved, that are lost. What do we do? Attitude is the attitude of Jesus. I came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, are you going to be as good at it as, as Jesus? No. <laughs> no. You're not going to be as good as Jesus in it. You're not going to be as good as Jesus at anything. Really? We try to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to see my purpose. Our purpose of my life is to seek and to save the lost. Number two, I want to be like Jesus in His compassion. Look over to Matthew chapter 9. How does the church grow? Well, the church grows when the members of the church say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to see the lostness of people around me. I want to see my purpose is to help people be saved. But in the second point here is to have the compassion of Jesus. In Matthew 9, in verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest field. Jesus looked out on the world and had compassion. He looked at the people's lives that he was involved with and says, They're like sheep without a shepherd. Guys, it's not hard to look at our world today in Southern California and know we live in a lost, desperately needy society. People's lives are a mess. You just have to, just, you just have to pick your category of what mess they're in. Families are disintegrating. Marriages are flying apart. People are involved in all kinds of, of drug, alcohol, abuse. I mean, we see it every day. We read it every day. We experience it all around us all the time. People need the Lord. Jesus looked in and He felt compassion. He felt for them. I tell you what happens in my life and your life is we get so used to it. We get so accompanied with it in life, that we are no longer touched by it. People you know, people you work with, people you go to school with, people that, that you care about are lost 
And they are hurting spiritually and they need the Lord. We've got to be like Jesus. We've got to say, Jesus, please help me to see people through Your heart and through Your eyes. Some of us, it has been months or years since we've shared our faith with anybody. How can a child of God not share their faith? How can they not help? How can they not speak? Because you become accustomed to it. You're no longer, you're no longer hurt by it. You're no longer touched by it. Jesus looked at the people and felt compassion. This is Matthew writing this. Jesus apparently, in, in some way, in the way that He acted... Matthew is looking at this, observing this, and he's later writing it down. Jesus looked at the crowd and had compassion. Guys, we have got to have the heart of Jesus if we're ever going to help people be saved. We've got to look and we've got to feel the way Jesus looked and felt. And the last thing here is that we've got to be like Jesus and that we've got to be His representative to the world around us. Look over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How does the church grow numerically? Well, when more people are here. Why, why would people be here? Those of you that are visiting with us today, I'll almost guarantee there's not a single one of you who are visiting with us here today that came to church today unless someone invited you to come. You came because someone said, hey, would you like to go to church with me on Sunday? And, and someone, you know what, you need to thank that person. They loved you enough to ask you an awkward question. It's an awkward question to ask someone, do you want to go to church? You know, that, that's just not the normal thing. You know, hey, would you like to go to church with me? How does a church grow numerically when the members invite other people to come? Come study the Bible with me. Come to the church service. Come to the devotional. Come to the Bible talk. For some of us, we haven't invited anybody in so long, we can't even remember what it feels like to invite somebody. If the church is going to grow numerically, it's because the members buy into, I need to be like Jesus. I've got to be like Jesus in purpose. My, if Jesus' purpose was to seek and save the lost, then my purpose is to seek and save the lost as His follower. If Jesus' purpose uh, was, was to reach out to the lost around Him, that's my purpose. If Jesus' heart was to feel compassion for people because of their lostness, I need to develop the kind of heart that, that, that feels for people the way that Jesus did. And what that leads us up to then is this comment that Paul makes about who Christians are. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20, he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Look at that terminology. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. A Christian is an ambassador of Christ. They speak for Christ. Like the ambassador to, to Mexico lives in, in Mexico City because the government of Mexico City uh, of Mexico is located there. How, how, can, how can the ambassador from the United States speak to the, to the government of Mexico because he lives in Mexico City and he has a relationship with the government officials there and he's an ambassador. When the ambassador speaks, it's as if the United States government is speaking. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Alright? And so Christ were making His appeal through us. What would Jesus do was a real big deal. You know, a couple of years ago, put that little thing on your wrist and everything. What would Jesus do? Well, if you're Christ's ambassador, you need to do what Jesus would do. You're Christ's ambassador. You should speak. You should invite. You should do something. Feel for those around us. If we do these things, brothers and sisters, the church is going to grow. We're going to grow internally. We're going to grow spiritually in our own, in our own life. We all want that. Amen? Yes. But we're also going to grow numerically. And remember back to Acts 16. It says that the church was growing and more and more people were coming in. If the church grows, that's a good thing. They say, well, if we grow much, we're not going to fit in this room. Amen. God will provide. Besides, we can get a lot more people in this room. We'll cram them in. We'll, we'll, we'll make a double deck somehow. God will provide. We'll figure it out. But you know what? Growing. Why does it grow? Because God makes it grow. Why do we grow spiritually? Because God makes it grow. Why does the church grow numerically? Because God makes it grow. I hope today is a growing day for you. That you'll be stronger by the end of the day spiritually than you were at the beginning of the day. And that we'll all grow together. As I mentioned earlier, I know that there are visitors here today. We are so flat happy you're here. We are, we are just honored that you took out time to come on out and worship God with us today. Don't run off. Let's fellowship. Let's uh, visit with each other a little bit. For those of you who have children in the classes, uh, it is 11.30 now, and so you can go ahead and go get uh, your kids. Let's have a great time of fellowship. You are dismissed. Thanks, Mike. I'll take that out of the recording. <laughs> yeah, 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 I will.